Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Yo! Yep, that's how I'm starting things this week. I just wound up my um, 13-year-old quite easily. It's really fun winding him up Um, because I just put on lots of different accents. He likes making movies, and I said to him, "Okay, what about if you need an Australian? I started doing an Australian accent, and then he was finding that very annoying, and then I did a Liverpudlian accent, then a very bad Scottish accent, and he wasn't having any of it. I was just chatting to him in all these different accents. And the other thing I did to annoy him this week, to wind him up, uh, which amused me greatly, and he started off being kind of amused, and then by the end of it, I think he thought I was being serious, is I told him that everything I've ever done for him since he was born, I've actually been keeping a tally, and that when he leaves home 18, he'll be presented with a bill. So I was saying, like, for example, every night Kit has decaf tea in a beaker that I bring it with him, to bed and I said that's actually five pounds each time and every time I've squeezed toothpaste onto his toothbrush for him that's been another three pounds and the alarm calls in the morning before school seven pounds and that actually it's all really adding up now and I think at first he thought he he knew I was joking and then by the end he was saying can you really do that and I said well yeah when you were a baby I got your tiny baby hand to sign a contract and I know that you were too young to know what you were signing, but now it's just my word against yours. I think by then he started to get a bit worried. Anyway, how are you? I am sitting, oh, actually bathed in some quite nice winter sun. It started off pretty freezing and now it's a really beautiful day with blue sky. And I am getting myself ready. I've got a gig tonight, so I'm choosing what to wear. And there's a lot of other jobs, bits and bobs I'm supposed to do, which I will do, but instead, Obviously, at first, I just sat down on the sofa and started flicking through Instagram and spent about half an hour doing that, which, I'm not going to lie, I really enjoyed. It was really nice having time doing nothing. And then in a few hours, I've got my friends Lisa and Louise coming, who are the hair and makeup women that I used for my first ever video, and I work with them 
on and off ever since I've known them for well over 20 years. And they are Ray, my third one down's godmothers. And so that'd be lovely to see them for, yeah, gig tonight. And then I'm mainly just hibernating at the moment, actually. I've got my tour starting at the end of next week and I'm just getting over a chest infection and I'm feeling much better. So I've just been staying in, staying in, staying in, staying in, being very boring, being very homely, having a lovely time. Oh, i tell you what I've been really enjoying. Love is Blind season two. Have you watched it? Oh my God. I mean, it's trash, but it's so enjoyable. I'm pushing on to everyone I know. I finally got a message from a friend today saying that she was now hooked. And I'm going to try and hook you as well. So that when I talk about it in the future, you'll be able to say, yes, I know what you're talking about. Anyway, today's podcast guest. <laughs> um, really lovely, lovely woman called Yolanda Brown. And when I spoke to her, we had a great chat about her her life in music and her um, raising her two little girls and the role that music has in her family life and how keen she is to get other kids involved. But actually what I really loved is she's a very positive person, which doesn't mean everything she's experienced is positive, but she just has a lovely outlook. And also she's one of those people where, and I listened back to a little clip of our chat, you can really hear the smile in her voice, which I think is a very underrated quality. It's completely lovely and really infectious. So yes, lovely Yolanda, whose conversation I'm really happy to share with you today. And yeah, I'm just going to take it easy and, and listen again, actually, because I loved hearing from her and she had some very wise words that have helped me out a little bit with my take on music lessons with the kids. So see what you think of that. And I will see you on the other side. And for those of you curious about my accents, should I do a little bit for you? Okay, hold on. So Australian, by the way, these are all terrible. I do know that. So the Australian one that I did for Kit was like this, like Kit. You should really put me in your movies, kid. I really feel like I could really bring a lot. Do you think that was more New Zealand? I think it's maybe more New Zealand because I made the vowel sound quite short. Anyway, that's that. So like, good day, my name's Sophie. I'm from Sydney, Australia. Yep. And then the other one I was doing was Liverpudlian. Uh, Kiss. Oh, my God, Kiss. Give me some chewy. I want to be in your movie. Oh, God, that's terrible. It was slightly better when I did it for Kit. It wasn't. It was about the same. And then he said, I'd rather you were a dead body than being Liverpudlian. So then I pretended to die in Liverpudlian, which I thought was pretty sensational. And the Scottish one I won't even bore you with. It was really, really bad. All right. Here's my chat with you, Amanda. See you in a minute. How are you, Yolanda? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm even better for being here. I have to say, I think I've been low-key following you this past summer Aww. because yeah, of we all the festivals. Festivals, yes. Exactly, yeah. So every festival I go to, she's there again. There's a uh, little wave. So it's nice. Actually. I know because I last saw you in a sunny place and I can't remember where we were, oh, but we were it was it. definitely a nice day. Well, I remember it very well because it was Cambridge Club ah. and it was one of the gigs where I brought oh, the was whole a family festival. down. It was a lovely festival. And we'd finished and went to the gin bar and then you came on and it was beautiful. And my mum... I don't think she she wouldn't really go to a lot of festivals, but she just was lapping up the whole atmosphere. And we couldn't find her for half the time. She was in the middle, dancing away <laughs> to Sophie Ellis And then we finally got back to the car. We still had a bit more of a boogie by the car. You know, Amazing. We absolutely loved I it. So it was a great atmosphere. Absolutely <laughs> did. Absolutely did. Glad so thank you it. for that. <laughs> so you said all the fact, did you take your daughters with you absolutely. then? Absolutely. I mean, for me, as a touring musician, I think... Very early on, my husband and I made the decision that if it is a longer tour or if it's something that will appeal to them, 
we take them with us because, you know, we just want everybody to be together. Mm. And I think when you're independent, when you're self-employed, you've got to grab those moments as much as you can. So, yeah, I've been touring with them for as long as they'll let me, um, which for me is really important. It's just good to know that they're there. It is, but as they get older, because that's another two and eight, is eight, that right? Yes. Um, do you find it easy to sort of still have enough of your own headspace for what you need to do? Yeah, I find it easier actually. Oh, that's interesting. Because when I'm away from them, I'm thinking, oh, has this been taken care of? Are they okay with this? And I know they are, but that's just the mum thing, you know. Mm. Um, and I feel very close to them. So all those little nuances, of course, they're fed, they're watered, homework's done, whatever. But how are they feeling? Was there something that happened that they haven't quite spoken about, you know? So I'd rather be present in that way, yeah. even if it's, and it is sometimes before going on stage, Jemima, my eight year old, will come up to me. Mum, what's that person doing over there? Mum, I feel this. Or, oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous. And for me, it's important to take that time, even if they're like, welcome to the stage, you'll end around. I will take that moment for her. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of how I managed to balance it all, really. Yeah, yeah. And actually, a lot of what you said, I'm thinking back to things when I've... You know, I remember one time I took uh, my eldest with me on tour and it was just a, a festival weekend, so he came with a mate and... I literally, I didn't take anyone to look after him because they were, I think, 11. Nice. So, yes, it was quite nice. But it also meant that I came off stage and they were saying, I'm hungry. So I literally still in my sort of <laughs> little chiffon sparkly thing was sort of make, quickly making them sandwiches. But I think I quite enjoyed the juxtaposition, actually. For me, I, I kind of like that because, in a way, I know when you're performing, you know, you're preparing for the show, then you do the show and then there might be press or you're meeting audience members afterwards, but then essentially it's finished. Yeah. And so actually it's quite nice after a show to go back to the hotel, the kids are there, um, in the morning you can have breakfast with them, you might have a lot of time before sound check again and you get to have that family time. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like doing your nine to five, if you like, but on the road. Yeah, and we're um, lucky, aren't we, that we can we're very lucky bring them can. with us, yes. actually. Not everybody has the option of saying, I'm this gonna, is also true. You know, keep them with me. And um, I think also the perception of festivals and all that has changed so hugely from when, oh, like, from when I was a teenager. You know, you didn't see has. any kids there. Well, I suppose I was the kid, but you know what I mean? It wasn't like, <laughs> like if I was 16, 17, you know, it was a different thing. And that's been the nice thing about having or doing Yolanda's Band Jam. So a lot of the festivals we did this last summer were for that. So, I mean, they were the captive audience, you know, they, they know the show, they've come to the recordings, they know the music. And actually to see my now two-year-old, who was one and a half at the time, not really having been out and been social because she was born January 2020, just looking around, seeing everyone dancing. She's seen the TV show. You could just see things linking up in her mind. Wow. And the way she was just dancing and confident and she <laughs> She was living life. And even for me as a mum on stage, I'm still focusing on the rest of the audience, but I can just see little Adelphi at the front giving it her full boogie, you know. As a mum, it was like, it was a win-win. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if we're going to have to drive a couple of hours soon or we're going to eat afterwards or whatever. Just seeing her in that moment and enjoying it just makes the job sweeter. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> it sounds like Adelphi would give Mickey a bit of a... He's my youngest and he's the one that dances oh, non-stop. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. they would have a whale When it's time. in yeah. there. Next festival, just, yeah. will we? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so when you started Yolanda's... So Yolanda's Band Jam is your CBB show. It is. So when did that start? So we did two seasons of it. Um, started, I'd say, 2018. 19. Okay. I can get those dates right. 18, I'd say. Um, so your eldest, I'm trying to think, so she would have been about 
She was about six. six. Yes, yeah. So the the first series, she was able to bring some friends from school and they came and they were part of the Van Jam, which was a nice experience for her to be able to show what her mum does, but also just enjoy having that experience of being on a TV set, which was lovely. Um, And in the second series, I was pregnant with Adelphi when Ah. I was doing it. Yep, in the blue jacket, jumping around. I was (laughs) four months pregnant at the time. (laughs) So she knew the songs from from the very beginning. And um, yeah, it was a totally different way of doing things. You know, I'd never imagined being in children's entertainment and being in children's TV. But it all interlinks. I've always been passionate about music education. I've always been passionate about giving the next generation something new, something inspiring, something um, exciting. And yeah, it's been an absolute honour to to be a part of it. Season three was commissioned and then COVID hit and we can't film a children's TV show with 60 children in the audience um, during COVID. So we're still waiting to see what happens. But yeah, we've done 40 episodes of that. So That's really amazing. Yeah. That, and that will come back as well. Things are starting to, yeah, yeah so we're getting, getting there. Getting there. Yeah. Um, but where do you think that passion comes from to sort of pass it on to the next generation? Where's, where's the root of that? Um, I think it has to be my mum, if I think about it, honestly. I mean, the idea of, of giving is sort of just part of our everyday existence, especially my husband's very much about, um, you know, giving to charity or if a friend comes around, you might have just got something brand new and he'd be like, you like it? Yeah, you have it. And I'm like, oh. We did the podcast at yeah. the wrong house. Yeah, come exactly. Under yours. <laughs> Leave with a whole bucket full of stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that element of giving has always been there. But my mum was a teacher, a head teacher, uh, went on to be an inspector and... Um, was also the support for all of the primary schools in Ealing Um, and she loved it you could just tell that it wasn't about the money or the job or the school it was about the kids you Mm. know and she would go out of her way to support parents help children to learn a new way if it didn't make sense in the way the curriculum was set up and I saw all of that growing up and I was just thinking mum we're on holiday relax and she's there thinking of new ways that she can really get to a child and um, you see it now, you know, if I go to the supermarket with her in the local area where she taught, there'd always be someone, oh, Mrs. Brown, it's so good to see you. You look the same. How are you? And she'd remember their names. And if you wow. think how many children she would have taught throughout that time, she remembers their names, their mum's name, their sister, their brother, everybody. And she just genuinely has that passion. Um, and I think it it's nice. You can see the reward that you get yeah. when after investing all that time, somebody comes back and says, you know, thank you for what you've done for me. Um, And I think that makes it make sense. It's not easy, but that makes it make sense for me. No, that's incredible. She sounds pretty phenomenal. So so we're now in (laughs) West London as well. We're in Chiswick, so it's not that far from Not far, yeah. I drove through through Ealing and we lived on the other end of the central line. So she used to actually take the train um, forwards and backs when she had that Ealing job. Um, Principal advisor um, of, of all the schools in Ealing. And... Yeah, it's just that dedication. Yeah. It doesn't come from wanting to get a paycheck or, you know, just turning up. It comes from that deep... Yeah, it's a passion, that, isn't it? It's a passion. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. what drives you, actually. And yeah. getting the stories, as you say, like, in fact, she knows all the names. I mean, she's actually really sort of investing in each family's yeah. situation and trying to work out what's going to benefit them. Exactly. I mean, the only thing I've heard from... My two sort of interactions I've had with heads, one, uh, they're both former heads now, but they've both said that the only thing is when they had their young families, their sons felt like they weren't actually as present for their own families because they were so invested in all the families they were thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I'm a fan of the podcast, so I have listened to those interviews. <laughs> and um, 
Only after listening to them did I realise my mum's great master plan and I never understood it until hearing that because my brother and I, most of the time, most of our primary schooling, went to the school where she taught. Ah. Which is a genius idea, really, if you can make it happen. Because if I finish school, no matter what year I'm in and, you know, the school that she taught at and that I went to um, had a primary school and a secondary school. So mm. even in secondary school, if I've finished or if I've got after school club, she'll still be there doing staff meetings till 6pm. But then I come down, sit in the classroom, do my homework. There'll be snacks. She would have packed some a snack or a tea for dinner. But we all go home together. The same, my brother. Aww. In fact, she actually taught my brother Aww. in primary school. <laughs> And um, and she's very good. at She kept that line, you know. She was the teacher. He was um, the pupil. Parents' evenings, my dad would come and do parents' evenings. I was like, you guys could just do that over the kitchen table. <laughs> Coming to take mom. a slot at school. But it was literally she was able to demarcate how it works. Mm. I would call her Mrs. Brown at school, and then Mum after school. Um, but we were always together, so now it makes sense. Like Aww. in a similar way, bringing your kids to work with you. We were always together. She sounds amazing. She is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, yeah, what, what role was music in your life at that time then? So music kind of, I'm not from a musical family. My dad has an amazing record collection and he loves all genres under the sun. So uh, my parents are both of Jamaican heritage, both born in Jamaica. And um, so there's reggae, there's ska, but then there's Motown, there's funk, there's opera, there's classical, there's everything. Um, and so I grew up just hearing all of that music on a Saturday, you know, doing your chores around the house and my dad might be playing Gilbert and Sullivan and then the next thing Bob Marley comes on and then The Temptations. And it's just like, that was normal to hear all those genres coming through. Um, so I started playing the piano at age six. Then um, I played the violin as well, the drums. And then around 13, um, I thought, oh, I really want a wind instrument. Everyone's so cool with their little cases going to school. <laughs> I want to try something. And um, I wanted to play the oboe. There was no space. And so they gave me a tenor saxophone, which is uh, it's a lot bigger than the cool alto sax that everyone usually carries around. But I just, as soon as I played it, I just fell in love with it. It felt like my voice, if you mm, like. It I was going to really, say, if it does it feel like singing it almost to it? Yeah, it was. And um, I went a bit rogue. I decided that, you know, I didn't want to do lessons and scales and the traditional things that I'd done on all the other instruments. And so after about a year of lessons, went it alone and just used to play in my room, being a teenager as well. That was a way to process my emotions, I feel. Mm. Um, and it really just became quite therapeutic. And I was really grateful especially having a mum in education that they allowed me to do that I was too. gonna say actually because you said that you know as if that, that, like obviously just playing for yourself is completely fine I yeah. was encouraged but for parents where they're watching this happen saying why you just definitely not want yeah. a teacher and grades and the more sort of traditional yeah. route yeah it's actually quite bold I think really is really is particularly when you can see your kids got talent because you don't know whether if you're doing the right thing to not True. let that have a more of a sort of steer, I suppose. Yeah, I wonder if maybe she could tell I was happier. I don't know, yeah. I'd have to ask her. But um, yeah, I definitely was happier just experimenting, playing for myself. And it was for myself. Um, yeah. I always tell a story of one day, a really hot summer's day, playing in my room. I think I was playing like a jazz standard to a backing track, like Misty. And I was playing, then it got into the improv bit and I was enjoying that, back to the head and then finished the song. And... Um, I remember being quite hot and sweaty and like, oh, that felt really, really nice. And then hearing applause in the garden and it was the next door neighbour. And I was like, <laughs> almost like, you see me in my dressing gown kind of. <laughs> um, but then actually that's when I realised music is to be shared. It is, it is about performance. It's about giving to others. You know, it's not just for you. Um, 
and so I guess then the idea of performance and things came in, mm. into into the frame. And my mum always used to say, "You should come busk down at the train station. You never know." Um, I don't know what she was getting at with that, but yeah, maybe she could see <laughs> either making money or a performance element. Um, yeah, probably a way to sort of give you a unpressurized stage yeah, environment sure. to start yeah. that. But actually, what you just said before that, I think, is really important about about the role of music in terms of its ability to communicate. Yes. It's, it's a dialogue, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And I think that drives my passion in music education now um, as I continue to want to give back and make sure the mm. next generation have the music education they deserve because it isn't just about sitting down and doing a drum circle and the child not taking from it. Some do, which is brilliant. But if you can see that a child's not engaging in that, how do you help them connect to music and communicate in a way? Because you never know the story that might come out of it. Is it that they write a poem and then put that to music and that's them inside the music? Or is it them just simply listening and being absorbed and then you know, painting what they feel. You really need to collect, connect with that. But mm. it takes time, it takes trial and error, and we don't always have the time for that um, in education. But we will, I believe we will. Yes, well, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> I'm sure, to be had there. But, yes. And your mum would probably have, have you on that as well. But I think there's almost sort of two strands to that as well. There's, there's obviously what happens if someone shows a talent and presumably with things like your music award, you're thinking of the you out there that's yeah. just playing on their own in their bedroom but actually has something that should be brought out into the into the fore. But yeah. there's also where music plays a part in, in people who don't go on to have it as part of their day job, but it just gives them something. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so much that kids get from it. It is. It really is expression, you know, and sometimes it's, it's expression without words that you can't sum up. And in the world that we're living in now how uncertain it is or things that you've gone through that you don't realise were traumatic or you don't realise would affect you later down the line. Mm -hmm. Sometimes music can put that into perspective. It might just be in the way that you dance to it or move to it or how it makes you feel when you listen to it. Yeah. Um, it really is so powerful. It is. It really is. And I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of years, I suppose, when all the, the gigs go away. And obviously for Richard and I, we're both musicians and so that's very much been, you know, just how we function and our yeah. day job. But when it becomes much back to this, what is it that actually is just the bit that we just adore? And it's not about any of those those things. That's like the really lovely bit for us that we get to yeah. make a living with it. But actually, just music for music's sake and the expression, as you say, and not just escapism, because obviously when you're in something like a lockdown, yeah. it does give you a place to go. But also, I don't know if you feel this, but it was like... A place to put stress as well. Oh, yes. And the emotion of just the kind of, I can actually just jump around here and I'll get a lot of like, yeah. I suppose it's like the grown-up equivalent of like, what they call it when you kid, like shake your sillies out. Yeah, they yeah say. just shake it out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that was me. I was literally preaching that throughout lockdown just to have, oh, you had it here the, the, with the family disco, you know. It's, it's so important just to let loose. Mm. And so many times I, I released a, like a music education resource and I was trying to communicate to parents that you don't have to understand music, how to make music. It's all about just having fun. Somebody might start banging on the table. Another person starts banging a teacup. And it doesn't matter what the rhythm is. doesn't yeah. matter what it sounds like. You're actually connecting. And even though we spent so much time together in lockdown as families, um, sometimes we weren't communicating. We were existing. We were told to stay home. We were existing. But sometimes there aren't words to be how you're feeling. Oh, I'm looking at the same four walls. This is, I'm feeling quite agitated. Yeah. Sometimes a nice dance, put on a track and just everybody let loose or try and, you know, match each other with the rhythms. 
even if you're not musicians, sometimes it just creates a nice communication. And I found that with the girls and my husband. We just break out in the kitchen, put on a song and just let it go. And then everyone goes back to what exactly. they're meant to be doing. Yeah. yeah, and I think also for family dynamic, it sort of shifts you out of your normal character roles as well, doesn't it? Yeah. If you're suddenly actually just mucking about for yeah. five minutes together and just... And I don't know about you, I, I wondered if even now with music, if it sort of connects you back to a sort of teenage version of you. Do you feel like that? Yeah, I guess it does. Um, I kind of feel that after having children, there was almost like a, a line that I crossed over and I can almost remember it, giving birth to Jemima, who was actually in the room, you know, kind of knowing that this is the next phase. You're never going to be able to go back from this phase. It's unlike yet I've decided to cut my hair into a bob and then that might be a phase, but then you can grow it out and do something else. But becoming a parent, that's, that's it. You've stepped over a threshold that you're never going to go back to. And so I reminisce on those teenage years, but actually I like to reset to then. You know, it's about what am I giving to the next generation? It's about how are they feeling? And also how do I exist within it? We hear that phrase all the time, make time for yourself. You know, make sure you know who you are as, as a person, not just mum and artist and philanthropist or whatever. Um, but I tried to reset to that because I know those teenage years won't, won't come back. So what's the freedom that I feel now? Yeah. Um, and I think especially sort of in lockdown, becoming a mum in the thick of lockdown, I had to do that because I think I would have been yearning for something that I would never find again, if you like. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I, I, I completely see what you mean. I suppose for me, I think like they're sort of like... Um, there's an evolution about, you know, being creative, which is we're so lucky to have that mm. because it's an instinctive thing to push on. Yeah. Momentum is pretty integral to what makes you want to do what you do and keep looking ahead. But I suppose I, I found there's a sort of purity in, in the time travel that music allows mm. as well, which I feel like just gives me, I suppose it's like a mental space, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean, actually. Because there's songs that I'd listen to when I was a teenager. I remember, in particular, Liberian Girl, Michael Jackson. I remember being able to put headphones on and just being awestruck by the production. Of yeah. It. I just don't know why. There were so many things happening. But when they come together, it was just so simple and, and nice and pure. And I used to crave ending school and running back home and listening to that. <laughs> Interestingly now... <laughs> Interestingly now, I mean... Does now, it have the same effect, no? Well, it, it, does, it does a little bit. And I, I actually have to... Re, when you say reset to teenagers, I have to put myself back to the wonder of that. Because yeah. we make music all the time. Um, during lockdown, I got um, the contract to do all the music and underscore for an animation with Sesame Workshop, which I'd never done before. But, you know, we were told to upskill. So, hey, here we are. Um, and so I'm loving it. A year into the project, another year to go. But I had to then take myself back to that wonder when I'm not making music for myself to take on tour, I'm making music that hopefully somebody else will have that wonder for. Mm. And so I was trying to tap into that excitement, that energy of, and that wonder of hearing music for the first time. And I think that's kind of what I tap into. I think the experiences and what that song signified necessarily might not matter anymore. But the wonder of the music making for me, I do tap back into, yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually put, put pretty well, actually, what I'm probably getting at as well. Just sort of that, that thing of the, the, the sort of innocence, I suppose, of your mm. connection with it, really, before you learned all the stuff about, you know, the parenthesis of how things work yes. and what's, what, how things, you know, might be possible and what have you. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But, um, what was going on in your life when you first became a mum then? Where were you at with your work? Uh, so um, I released my debut album I'd been touring around the world so it was just before um, that so yes so I'd say maybe five years before that just really getting into a rhythm but also had been married for five years too and so you know the questions come from family oh you know when's it happening <laughs> Help, helpful family questions <laughs> exactly and then and this also, is why you're also like winning lots of awards and doing really, yeah, really flourishing I mean, the momentum with you was, was really going and I still remember sitting sitting down with my husband, we were over dinner and just saying, are we ready? Should we, should we go for it? What will it mean for our career? Again, as an independent artist, you know, there's no maternity leave for a start. Let's start there. Yeah. What happens, you know? And I think I had to make a conscious decision just to work through it, that it would become another part of my life, but I wouldn't necessarily stop anything. Mm. I would make space but I wouldn't stop anything. I can't, got to keep the lights on. So, so yeah, with, with Jemima, um, we were trying for, for maybe a, a year. So it wasn't, didn't come straight away. And I remember the first time, first month thinking, um, am I sure about this actually? You know, when you make the decision, but are you really sure? And then obviously yeah. finding out that I wasn't pregnant that month and feeling really down. And I was like, oh my God, I really want this. You know, yeah. I remember that feeling. That was really enlightening and yeah. let me know that I, I was ready. Yeah. Um, so when she did finally come, yeah, worked through it. And when she was born, back on the road after about three months, um, and she would just come with me. And my parents, bless them, both retired and really supportive. And I said to them, you know, I, I do want to have a family, but what will it look like if I finally get the tour that I've always wanted and I'm away for three weeks? Where does she or yeah. my child go? I said, don't worry about it. We'll have them. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> Take at least 24 hours to think about it. Because <laughs> when I say three weeks, it might be three weeks and, you know, you can't get me. I might be somewhere, in, I don't know, wherever I might be. And they came back again after 24 hours and said, no, it's all going to be fine. Don't worry. And I guess for them, they love coming to the concerts. They love being on tour with us when they can. And by the same measure, they've created a, an amazing atmosphere at home to they raised me and my brother. So, um, and it's it's been amazing. They've been true to their word. Um, come on tour when they can. Keep, so with that first kids. tour, when you had a new little baby, uh, my dad actually came on tour because my mum wasn't retired yet. So he wow. used to call him the Manny, <laughs> and um, he came on tour. I've got pictures of um, the, all the venues as well. Were so amazing. I think we have to to remember as as mums. Ask for what you need. I mm. think we we are kind of conditioned in a way to just just handle it. We'll handle it. Don't tell anybody else. Um, but actually, ask for what you need. So I remember saying to my manager, "I'm going to need an extra dressing room um, wherever we go, and could you just make sure that that is possible? Just let me know." 
And at first I thought, am I being a diva? Is it like having like rose petals on the floor? But actually, no, I want to set up the, the cut. I want to set everything up. So, so you almost had like a room for your baby yeah, at yeah, the venues. Yeah, at the venues. Oh, and wow. all of every single venue accommodated us. They put the baby's name or my dad's name on the door, Aww. made it all really nice and special. I had made sure there was hot water there. Everybody for that whole three-week tour were absolutely amazing. The band as well were fantastic. I made sure that, you know, they were comfortable. I'd travel separately, all of those different um, logistical things. But it was lovely because I was breastfeeding as well at the mm. time. And that for me was quite important. I wanted to make sure I had that, that connection. And we pulled it off. Like, thank you, everyone. But we pulled it off. And for me, that bonding time was, was really, really special and continued to do so until Jemima started school. I remember she was like four, just going into reception. She was like, mummy... I know that you're going to Spain for uh, four days. Is it all right if I just stay with grandma and granddad? She said, <laughs> I was like, dagger to my heart. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, I think, I think I'll be okay. She said, and I was like, wow. Whoa. You know, that was quite That's a quite hard courage, moment for it? me. Uh, to actually think it through and then actually bring it up in quite a mature way. Like, know, she, I'm going to have a discussion with my mother about my feelings about this. She's very well known trip. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I knew she was ready. I had to then get myself ready. And so every now and then, if it's not too long, I can I can leave her or leave them. Yeah, but actually it's quite nice that you know that she feels secure enough that she's like able to articulate yeah. that. But I'm actually really impressed with you taking a three-monther when it's your first baby because I feel like I kind of built up to being able to yeah. do more with a little one. But when I had my first, I I couldn't... I don't really know if I could have done that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Did you find it hard? Um, you it know, sounds I, quite wholesome and blissful. Yeah, but. It's, it's funny. It's kind of a term that we hate to use now coming out of the lockdowns and trying to come out of the pandemic, the new normal. Mm. But as a new mum, I called it my new normal. Yeah. And I think straight away, um, you know, even with breastfeeding, you know, milk's not coming in and then you've got... Um, advisors or nurses saying, oh, do you want a, a little bit of formula? And I had already set in my mind what I wanted to do. I said, no, I know I can do it. I've researched it. Whatever I need to eat or do or sleep or rest, I will have enough. Yeah. Um, and it's first time you that, ever find out about that herb, what is it, fenugreek? Uh, yes, exactly. So like, oh, I'll take some oh, of those some of that. <laughs> yeah, bread. Yeah. Never it heard was, of it before then. Yeah. Suddenly it's like top this of my is head. It. Yeah. So yeah, what, make sure we've works? got it in the cupboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but actually that determination of I know what I want to do for my child and I'm going to do it um set me in good stead I think um and I remember I mean it wasn't easy the first time someone said it I cried for a long time and you know felt incompetent and that I wasn't able to provide for my child but after I picked myself up off the floor I thought I can do this and whatever it is let's make it happen and I think that that helped me just to think not every child is going to have um is going to grow up in a jazz club no you know there's going to be parents that I know and I get on with who their children will be in bed at 7 o'clock or 6.30 or wherever it is. And mine might be up till 9, 10, 11, 12, helping me pack up the saxophones, you know, on tour. But that is our life and it's their normal. They've been great. If they hadn't reacted well to it, then I would have adapted, you know. But touch wood, it all, all went quite swimmingly. Yeah, I think actually with a lot of that stuff, is that they take their lead from you. So okay. I think if you're feeling okay about it, and yeah. same with all of it, you know, if you're completely confident or not completely, you know, nobody's completely confident <laughs> yes. about any of it. But I mean, if you're, if you're feeling that the, the path you want to take is, is something that's quite routine then that will be the thing that is familiar and works yeah. better yeah. than winging it on the advice of someone else so true. when it doesn't work. But similarly, um, I mean, the, the life that you're describing really 
it sort of reminds you as well that the real things that kids need to thrive aren't really about you know anything other than a happy the happiest sort of most secure yeah environment with, with their parents and with the love and and I have to say you have to do it with a support system it's not something yes. that I made up in my mind and then we went and did it I had to communicate it some people might have thought oh yeah I don't know if that's possible but I was like, I've thought this through I think it is are you on board are you not you know um and you know my husband my parents family friends everybody's been yeah really great with it yeah yeah those conversations are so vital aren't they are. they? they really are yeah I mean even now I can't really make a decision without there's like a sort of small committee of people I sort of talk to about <laughs> everything it's true it's true um I think for me as well it's lists just having it out that I can see it and know that it's a plan that could happen so when you say lists you mean literally writing everything down about lists, how things might work the diagrams whatever it is just to visualize it okay um I think that's kind of how this independent journey happened anyway I kind of fell into music mm. met my manager um he said there's something there I could manage you as a solo artist I was being part of a horn section in a band at the time and um you know, I remember we. I was saying, I don't think so. I don't. I don't get it. You know, who's going to want to come and see a saxophonist that's never been to school to study it? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But we had this big spider diagram with Yolanda Brown in the middle and what it could look like, and that visualization is quite powerful. Um, and things like having a TV show or writing books or making music for animation, we did dream those things. It felt strange at the time. I couldn't imagine it happening, but hey-ho, we're here, you know. So when you say we, this is you and a manager that yes, you have. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and that relationship has gone on. We bring people on board when we need to, PR agents or booking agents um, who believe in, in the journey. And, yeah, it's been really great just to bring people on board that will make that dream happen. I think that's what I've always tried to live by, if yeah. you like. Um, yeah, bring people on with the same energy. Yeah, oh, definitely, I agree with that. Mm. And I think, um, essentially, on your website, you have the thing of you yes. and the Rizzle with all the, yes. the diagrams. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm quite interested in that, because so, obviously, for you, that's been quite a key component of your your drive and ability to sort of keep pushing forward. I think so, and to, to do various things, you know. Yeah. Um, I kind of see it all as as one, including motherhood, including everything. It's all part of that that ball if you like mm. you know if I wasn't a mum would I have as much understanding or feeling towards um music education and children's entertainment as I do or would I see it as a job I see it in a maternal way if you like um or if I wasn't a musician would I want to be in music education because I've been through learning and I want to help in another generation see it in a different way yeah you know all of those different parts of your life they feed in together yeah so I do try to see it as one rather than different pockets of things yeah yeah well, I think that if, that obviously works for you and just to sort of contextualize it for for people how you know we're talking you're someone who's won lots of awards including two MOBO awards so you know really high profile um massive accolades what is the like how many other people do you meet along the way that have had no formal training in the thing they end up excelling at in that way in music I guess they're out there. Not many, though. Not many. I just want people to understand that. Because actually saying, you know, oh, I, I, went, I sort of went rogue and, yes. and then, you know, end up... It's actually... It's, that is unusual. When it you're... Is. Especially in a world like... Um, so primarily, I guess, is that in the, the genre of jazz music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in jazz, I would imagine for a lot of people, the training is yeah. a massive part of it. It is. It is. And I think um, in those 
in those early days, definitely, and maybe even now. And um, the style of music that I play may not be jazz enough, may not be reggae enough, may not be soul enough, but it's me. And I think becoming a mum, that moment I was telling you about, was that I can only be me. I can only give birth in the way that my body will allow me to. I can only make the music that my body will allow me to. I can only parent in the way that I know from my upbringing and the things that I've seen and how I want to do it. And so how about I just be me, you know, and then I'll find an audience that wants to be around that. Um, and interestingly enough, that's what I love to tell um, young people when I go into schools and speak or um, wherever I am. You can only be you. And actually, there's something quite comforting in that because nobody else will do it like you. And so the minute that I realised that, I think I, an inner confidence came. So if somebody did say, oh, you don't play like the other saxophonists. No, no, I don't. But, you know, it's me. Um, And I just want to create an experience in a world where people could come into a Yolanda Brown concert and just experience that. Don't don't try and make it sound like anything else. Don't try and compare it to anything else. Let's just enjoy this time together. Yeah, that's really liberating. And Mm. I guess... It's funny because before you arrived, I was talking with my husband, Richard, in the kitchen. He was saying, ask her about practicing because um we've got uh, a couple of our kids do music lessons and they they don't really practice and I um if we put to one side how guilty I feel about the teacher who's giving their time my instinct about practice is if you if they don't feel like doing it I don't really know how to like coax that Mm. So I suppose rather than the conversation being how much practice did you do, yeah. if you're not really having lessons, yeah. then nothing is under any sort of heading anyway. You're just playing, right? Well, interestingly enough, I believe that practice isn't what the teacher sets you. And I'm going through the same thing. Um, Jemima learns the cello and the piano. She, does, she, she will have times where she will go and she, the book is on the thing. She's playing exactly what they did in the lesson and what she's been set. But actually, I try to encourage outside of that. The teacher will take care of it, right? And the teacher will make sure that the technique is there. So when they come home and they're practicing, how about a jam session? Can they learn a couple of chords of one of your songs and then you will jam? That's still practice because they're engaging with music, they're communicating, they're building something. And actually, they might take something back to the class and show their teacher. And that's the kind of music education I like, you know, um, and something that I maybe as a teenager tried to do and maybe didn't communicate it as well, I'm not sure. Mm. But it's kind of like, look what I learned this week. Take that back to your teacher. And they'll say, oh, what you've just done there is staccato. Oh, this piece here is staccato. Why don't we try this? It's all about the passion and the energy and the interest. Because if you just say to a child, 10 minutes, egg timer on top of the piano top, play what you're told to play, they're, just, they're not going to engage with it. You know, and if we went on stage, just like, well, sometimes it does feel like that, but you're going to go on stage, you've got a 20-minute set, just get it done. The audience won't engage with you the same way as if you're in it. Yeah. You know, so you've got to find what it is for that child that puts them in it. And for my daughter, even I took a video just the other day of her, she set up her stuff, and she had her cello, she was ready to go, going to play the song, and I thought, oh, great, she's going to practice what the teacher wants her to practice. And she put down the bow and started plucking and singing along. I could see a scenario where a parent would be like, stop messing about, pick the bow up and play the song that's on the stand, you know. But actually, I, was, I took a moment and I thought, look how she's smiling. Look how she's enjoying it. Adelphi then went and got a toy saxophone and was tooting along. And they did that for 10 minutes. To me, 
That is practice. Because she's engaged with it. She might come back the next time and play the same thing. She's just composed a song. She might come back the next time and play what was on the stand. But there's no race. There's no race. So make it something that they're passionate about. So hopefully she'll be engaged with that instrument for longer. Um, That's my school of thought. I love that. (laughs) I love everything about that. And I'm thinking... Does prancing around the kitchen count as practice it in that It does, case? Yes. yes, it that does. That I was very on it. Yeah. <laughs> you had a full <laughs> music education like that. <laughs> I'm also thinking if I said, let's play one of mummy's songs, I, would, I don't think they'd even come in the room where the instrument is. <laughs> then they should make up where their own. Where have you gone? Make up, write a Why new song. Why are you song. running so fast? <laughs> but um, just in a more serious question, do you, do you actually still uh, curate that time? Do you still say... We're going to do, do whatever you fancy, but just make it near the piano I, or near I the I make cello. sure everything's set up. Okay. So I just make sure, you know, every home has things everywhere. Mm. Um, or, you know, people are coming around and I'll put the stand in the side room just so that, you know, the room looks a bit more organised. But I'll make a mental note, bring the stand back, open the book, leave it all there. Make sure she's got a stand for her instrument where it's really easily accessible or the piano's open books are up because mm. every now and then it might be like dinner's ready in 10 and she might be like oh I've just walked past the piano let me just play something quickly that's nice I like that and I that's something that I struggled with I always had my saxophone in the case and even now I have this weird feeling when I open the case it's like and you're unpacking the burden of having to play whereas if it's on the stand you just pick it up and play it so mm. having it out there is a psychology in that and oh, I like I've that. noticed that with them um, even like certain toys that you want them to play with if you want them to be a bit more educational or it's about reading or, you know, phonics or something. If you leave them out in a way that makes it look appealing, um, they end up gravitating towards it. Where if, if it's a pack of flashcards that's, you know, on the top shelf and they say, right, we're going to do the flashcards now, you'll get resistance straight yeah. away, you know. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I suppose also that means if you have got uh, a house full of music, musical instruments and your kid isn't just kind of casually doing that maybe something else is for them and that is fine I had a bit of a moment of revelation when I went to see um the musical Matilda and there's uh this is when we had just had two I guess so our eldest would have been I don't know let's say 11 or something maybe a bit younger like nine whatever age would you take a kid to see that (laughs) and um and there's a bit in the play where there's a football crazy parent trying to get his son involved in football yeah. and the kids go I don't really like it and he's saying but you must I love it your granddad loves it yeah. we all love it it's what we do it's who we are as a family yeah. and the kids go but I really don't like it and I thought oh I hope that's not me with performance <laughs> and me with music because I think you know you've got musician parents <laughs> yes yes and it gives you that thing because it goes beyond doesn't it, it does. it's an emotional thing it and does. it's expression as you say and it's unlocking things mm. So giving them the freedom to... It is the freedom, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I, I I'm quite fascinated them. by all of it, really. Yeah, no, it is good. And I don't push them, you know, if they decide they want to do something else, then mm. um, do something else, yeah. So all of this passion of giving the next thing, so is the, the award that you have, is that something that's very close to your heart, do you think? It is, yeah, the Drake Yolanda Awards. Mm. Um, again, as an independent artist, finally realising that I want to do music, you can't necessarily wait for a record label or a promoter to pick you up. It might not happen. Um, And I learnt that very early on to the point where we used to just book our own gigs, book the venue, 
flyer, tell people, posters, let people know where the concert's happening. Hopefully it sells out. You can pay the band, pay the venue higher, move on to the next one. And that is literally how organically I built up um, sort of a, an audience, built up my music, built up my style. Um, but it does cost money. It, it, it's not easy to do, you know. You get a gig and you put some into whatever you need to live, but also you've got to reinvest in yourself. Mm. So um, I wanted to set something up where you can invest in in the rising stars, you know, um, and it's lovely. And actually making the process different as well, because as creatives, we're not about writing business plans and cash flow forecasts. We're about creating. And so I wanted to create a, a forum where they could play their music to a, a panel they could then explain what they're going to do with the music, where they see it going. And it's all about the knowledge of the business. Is it a PR agency that they're thinking to employ or do they need to mix and master their track? Where would they do that that's cost effective? How are they going to tour it? How are they going to get the music so it's out It's like there? a Dragon's Den type of thing. In a little way. For but musicians. Without, yeah, without the x-factorness of it yeah it's it's a sharing experience and um yeah we've done two years now we had to stop during covid but just done the second round and it's just so lovely just to hear the feedback of what what the money's done for them and um and also the chance to perform and share their music which as musicians is the thing that we want to do the most and how easy did you find it to actually set up having a sort of monetary prize like that was it yeah. interesting process because it's quite different to the things you'd normally it be doing. is yeah and it's wonderful I'm working alongside a, a philanthropist James JP Drake and so he already had a, a classical arm um, of um, of this kind of idea of funding scholarships um, in this case so he had the Drake Calaire Trust so I came on board with a sister idea for non-classical musicians so I remember meeting and saying what about us non-classical musicians what do you have against that and obviously the setup is different it's not about scholarships it's about investment um but it works really really well mm. and creates a bit of an alumni and a network um you know artists that have got the award have then started to work together um and we have a short list and the award winners so the award winners get three thousand pounds there's 10 of them and um, the short list get 500 each but actually they all network together um we have forums where like a pr agent and a booking agent might come you could just have a, a round table talk and just really understand how do royalties work something as yeah. simple as that you know but actually can make a huge difference um and I think supporting uh, artists in that way is yeah I get told a lot of these things and then I sort of I just find it very hard to hold on to it's a lot it's a lot to hold on sometimes to. Yeah. yeah but important but very important, important. Yeah. I agree and I, I think it's a lot of that stuff be good to know right at the beginning so yes. actually it's just that knowledge yeah, is, is very exactly. powerful to set it all up in the right way yeah, yeah. and then you can look back historically at what's happened to musicians when they had no clue and they just sign yes. everything away and then yes. find out later what's, what dark art has gone yeah. on yeah um, I want to talk to you a little bit about when you had your second baby so oh. you, so you had your second baby just before the world sort of tilted yep, yep. somewhat but you did it all also in quite a dramatic fashion that you weren't even in this country when everything yeah. started to so, unravel so you know the story of the first child and it, yes it's hard but in in a way it, this happened you know it, it worked we got on with it and life continued but and it's interesting this is kind of like the first interview I've had talking about motherhood since having my second and what a blow to the stomach it was. It was totally different. And it's really interesting. I look back on interviews I did when I had Jemima and, you know, in a similar fashion, you know, yeah, you just got to believe it. You go for it and it works. I thought, how naive. <laughs> <laughs> what were you talking about? <laughs> 
It worked once, but that doesn't mean it will work every time. I've cracked the code, guys. <laughs> I've cracked the code, guys. It's fine. Um, so, obviously, had the similar conversation. We knew that we wanted a sibling for Jemima. Um, six years had passed. It's like, God, where did those six years go? We've got, we, we've got to just do it. There's never going to be a right time. So I worked all the way through my pregnancy. I, I did Jules Holland's Hootenanny, seeing in 2020. I was nine months pregnant. Really? <laughs> that was very the, cool. I know, it was very cool. I wore a very sort of... A fringy top but um yeah I did a duet with um <laughs> with uh, Rick Astley and uh, just at the end he went and like went down on one knee and I was like don't do that because I have to go down too and I'm like I'm not gonna get back up with the saxophone you know <laughs> but it was a, a wonderful time but yeah Rick literally worked every single day all the way through continued gigging continued doing all the other various projects um and then stopped working in December uh, Adelphi came January 2020 and I thought that I would have the baby in a similar fashion not not necessarily zen but natural birth and she'll breastfeed and we get on with life um but no she had complications um I was in labor for a very long time emergency c-section and all of a sudden I'm laying in a similar position that I was in when I felt so ready and you know with Jemima it felt great just thinking what is happening? You know, literally in a, the spin of a coin, I had the, the mask on my face. I, I was out. Then the baby was out. Then I couldn't see the baby for 10 hours. And then she was in the oh, wow. and Skibu. It was really, you had a really, really in-depth. Yeah, really, really traumatic. And I don't know if truly I've been able to process it because um, of lockdown, really. You know, so we were in the hospital for nearly a week. Um, transpired that in the end, she was born with a cleft soft palate. Um, so you know about cleft lip and then it can go back. So the doc said if it was a cleft that you had to have, that's the one you want. It's not cosmetic. It's right at the back. It can be repaired um, with an operation when she's six months, but it means she cannot breastfeed because she can't form a seal. So for me, thinking my life is so busy, all of the things we wanted to happen, tours, TV shows, all the rest of it is happening. And I thought the one thing that's going to get me through that is to just breastfeed my child. You know, just have that connection and then I can go and do, go to work. Yeah, like, I totally understand hours, that. Right? So not having that, I had almost had to grieve it with it and still trying Particularly to understand. Particularly with another child as well, because the breastfeeding's yes. clever. Because it means you've definitely got time with your you've newborn. Got, yes, exactly. Dictated. Um, but by the same as I also understand the importance of the milk and the nutrients and the yeah. whatever. So it's funny, we, isn't it? Before you have a baby, you don't know your brain's going to get so consumed by that know. stuff. You you'll just, cry if you drop some milk. And oh, all that stuff. oh my goodness! Crying yeah. over spilt milk. Yeah, I understand I the said phrase. That. He's not talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I understand the phrase. <laughs> so um, no, I mean, and everybody was really great at the hospital straight away. Um, you know, a cleft specialist from Great Ormond Street came down. They're explaining things, and it was just going way over my head. <laughs> not listening. I couldn't understand it. Um, but yeah, over time, grieve, grieve it. I thought she's still going to have my milk, so I pumped for ten months, um, and that's like five times a day pumping, still on tour, and I still had this tour in Australia booked. And in my mind, if it had gone the same way as Jemima had been born, we would have had her gone home a couple of weeks, then gone on tour. I still got to do the tour, so, um, so I how, remember. When was your tour then? March. March. Oh, blimey. Um, but I did have a date in February, so we played the Royal Festival Hall in February. What she was, was four weeks old. Oh, my goodness. And I hadn't, I hadn't counted that I would have a C-section even. So you just think you're going to just keep going. Yes, no, it's and also there's painful. a thing that happens, I think, when you've had one and you think, well, I, I should be able to do this. Should and if I'm do. struggling, I can't actually really tell, even myself, actually. Yeah. Because exactly. it feels like quite a big admission of yeah. 
just not keeping up with all the stuff you thought you could do, really. Which is really, really mm. tricky. Yeah. So we did the concert. Again, great support system around. So there were my parents there, my husband's there with the kids and all the rest of it. But we still have to go to Australia. So, um, so you've also got to sort of passport out and all those sort of practicalities. Yes. I didn't even quick. think about that till the last minute, oh, trying to get the so passport, stressful. going for the appointment. Anyway, we got it all done. Really pushed to get to Australia. We did two weeks of the tour. My How long were you supposed to be there? Three weeks. Okay. So my parents came as well. We had a nine-piece band. My t- it's a six-week-old and a six-month-old. Uh, my husband, everybody, we all wow. went out and um, had some really, really great concerts. Obviously, after the show, you're dealing with pain and pumping and all the rest of it. But you know, it's all part of of parenting. And then COVID hits. You know, I remember getting a call from the promoter of the concert we were meant to do that night and he says, you know, the hotel you're staying in across the road is the Grand Prix. They've just cancelled today. So this thing is serious. We knew there was no toilet roll in England, but we didn't know how serious it was. So he said, Are you still, are you still gonna do the show? So like, well, yeah, we'll do the show, you know. Um and it almost felt like the aliens are coming. Yeah. <laughs> like it was a sold out show. We were all just in it together. It was beautiful. And then straight away on a plane Back to, to London, Boris was making the speech, lockdown. So now all of a sudden we're at home in lockdown with an now eight-week-old and a six-year-old and not understanding the, the cleft situation. What does that mean in terms of operation? Would you still have it? We're all locked down. So, so many questions and, yeah, it was, it was really, really hard. I'm not even going to lie. I'm quite an optimistic person. I love to see everything yeah. glass half full. But for a moment, I just really did struggle, you know. And all the while, remember, agents are calling saying this is cancelled, this is postponed, there's no touring, there's no this, there's no that. And you just think, what's going on? Um, It was really quite tricky. And then the idea of social media, and I I used to watch your, your socials and just think, this is amazing, you know. But for me, I just didn't feel social at all. People would be asking for streaming concerts and all that. I was like, I can't. I no, can't you can only do, do what feels right. Yeah, I couldn't. And uh, um, I, you know, I think as well. Like I look back on some of the stuff that we were all getting up to, and I feel like it was just, it's all a form of coping. coping. To be honest with you, yes, it was. It really, <laughs> really was. It really was. Um, and I think I definitely, for the first time, felt I had to pull myself out of something. Mm. You know, normally it's kind of something happens. Okay, let's see the glass half full side of that. You know, yeah. let's see the the bright side. But um, anyway, as time went on. Six months down the line, um, Great Ormond Street was able to, to do the operation. Oh, that's good. Which was amazing. Yeah. Um, but again, perspective is is such a fine thing. Empathy is a gift to be able to have. Because mm. being there and staying overnight, my husband couldn't come in, so it was just me and the oh, baby. Yeah. She's can't feed, so I'm still pumping and all the rest of it. But then I remember somebody walking through um, the hallways playing a guitar. And I, I was sitting there not being able to sleep and hearing this music play. And I think, oh, that's really nice. Oh, I'm actually feeling a bit calmer. That's really helping. But I remember my very first project visit when I became chair of youth music, um, the music education charity. And obviously I like to go and see the, the projects that we, we fund. And the first one was at um, a children's hospital, Evelina Children's Hospital. And um, I was with a group of people that were walking through the wards playing music. And at the time I thought, this is lovely. You know, they're sharing the gift of music. Isn't that nice? You know? But actually, it was very therapeutic. It, it just brought me to tears. I just thought, up for years I've been doing this work. Now I'm on the receiving end. Um, music is powerful. Supporting people is really, really important. And actually having empathy. So all of those interviews I was giving about Jemima, I was like, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> you know, just it's a mindset. It's not always that easy. You know, I was meeting parents that had been in the hospital for months with their children 
or not being able to see their children. And it just opened up a whole new way of thinking for me. And I think I needed it. I definitely needed it um, in everything. I think it's a lesson to be learned. Um, I have faith. So I know that, you know, God is just trying to open my eyes to see things in a different way. You have to go through it in order to to feel it, to empathise, to share the experiences. Um, and thank God she's fine. You know, she recovered fine. She's really, really good. Uh, she's two now chatting. I remember them saying in the, in the hospital in the first days, you know, because she can't make this vacuum, she can't, she couldn't suck her through a straw or she wouldn't be able to blow. <laughs> the first thing I said, so you're telling me she couldn't play a flute or a sax? <laughs> oh, what are you saying, mum? <laughs> of all the things to ask. But, you know, in my mind, I just thought, wait, actually, if she wanted to, she wouldn't be able to. You know, how do you navigate those things? How do you tell a child oh, that might not be possible? Mm. Um, but I think then I understood parents when you, you watch children in need and things like that and you, you see those parents, they're like, it doesn't matter that you're in a wheelchair, you can do this, you know. And that, that spirit that, that people have, I really kind of adopted that. Yeah, um, that's an amazing thing, isn't it, that? It's powerful. It is powerful. It's so powerful. Even in your darkest times, you think something so hard, you can do it, you know. Yeah, you'd, you well, you, and you don't know as a parent that you're going to have that fire in you for, yeah. on behalf of your small person. Yes, That yes. thing of like, okay, well, let's, let's forget whatever all the, what all the books say, what all the online mm. searches say. Like, yeah. this is you. You're the first time that you've been around, so let's see what you're, you can achieve here. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And it is the books and the research that makes it harder, to be fair, because I remember... Even once you'd had the repair, it was all fine. And, you know, I joined lots of different communities online and just seeing what, I mean, it's that one in 700 children are born with some form of cleft. And I thought, I didn't even know about it. I didn't it. know that, actually. didn't know about it. Um, and so that's something that even going forward, I really want to support. But, you know, then they say, well, it's not just about the repair. It might be speech and speech and develop, speech development or their teeth, how their teeth grow. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, for the rest of my life, am I going to be thinking, is it because of that, you know? Mm. Um but it's wonderful to see how she's just been so strong because those first months of having to survive, you know, in, in, in the conditions that she was in, um, just seeing that strength within her is beautiful. And now she's two, she's um, running around, singing, dancing, doing whatever she wants to do. It's really, really nice to see. But I still hark back. It was her birthday last week and on the day, just think, gosh, what we were going through I know. two years ago. So much. You and know? actually... Um, you're right in saying that, you know, you say, oh, I still don't know, you know, to what extent they've processed all of it because those conversations just kind of stopped, yeah. didn't they? And um, I was talking to a girlfriend the other day who said that her friends that had babies during lockdown, didn't, they had their six-week checks over the phone. Yep. You know, they're not seeing other mothers, they're not seeing other parents, they're not doing the playgroups, they're not doing any of that stuff. You're just at home. And if that's your first baby, I do think... I can't imagine That's it. That's a lot, isn't I it? I can't imagine I mean, you feel isolated when you're surrounded by support. Yes. You know? Yeah. No, I remember with Jemima, I went to this amazing group called Mothers Talking, mm. and it was a very safe space where you could just say what you wanted to say without, you know, people judging you. And I just think, I didn't have that second time around, actually. And it was really, really important. And I do just really shout out to all the parents that have given birth in this time, especially first-time parents. Like, you're doing amazingly well. Because yeah. Yeah, it's just not there. I haven't actually taken Adelphi to a weigh-in. Had she not had um, the cleft repair and those checkups, 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 um, we wouldn't have been able to have that. The weighing, the measuring, all of the that checks. stuff. Yeah, you can't, yeah, it's really interesting. I know, and even going into Great Ormond Street for the operation means you see people, you can say, "Oh, yes. she's like this," and and actually get to share a little bit yeah. and say, "Isn't she lovely?" And look, she's doing this, and yeah. oh, she's smiling at you, and all those things that. 
a know, community. Yeah, yeah community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think a lot of what we've been talking about is about community, actually. It and is. the support within it and how you give people freedom and space to be what they do, what they're doing, but also, you know, to keep it present with them and, and help them grow. And yes, so it goes back to your mum's ethos, I guess. I think so. I think so. Um, it's, it's giving to people as well, making sure that they're safe and happy and supported, but also making sure you have that support network around you as well. It's important. Yeah. yeah. And thank goodness all the music stuff's come back and it's getting there. All yeah. the music groups for kids there. and things like that. Because, yes. you know, my youngest didn't do any of those things because they were not happening. So, yeah, yes. I think getting all that stuff back on track is really, really vital. Yeah. For them, it's important as well. I remember putting a Duffy into nursery a bit earlier than I wanted to, not because of work or anything, but actually because she needs that social interaction. Um, but even till now, we haven't been able to go into the nursery. So it's kind of like, I don't know who you are. Like, <laughs> I drop you off at the door. It's like, who do you hang out with? Who are your friends? Like, oh, what yeah. do you do? It's so You don't get strange. that information out of them for a long time. You don't get it anymore. Time. No. I do ask Mickey every day, like, what do you do to him? I'm getting, it's like, drips. <laughs> drips. And he's not very reliable as well. So what Just he says he doesn't know might, might have happened six months ago for all I know. <laughs> you gotta love him. That's no, lovely. <laughs> What's happening next for you, Landa? Is there anything on the horizon that's exciting? At yeah. The so at the moment, just in the thick of underscore for this animation, which yeah. I'm absolutely loving. Um, Is that a very different discipline? Oh my god, so different. <laughs> so when you're doing the underscore for animation, you've been, you're being given it's, it's a completed bit of animation, and you have to then, then score you're it. Scoring it, but it's wow. really the emotion and the rise and fall. It's not just a piece of music. So it's... do you play as you're sort of watching it to try and get the yeah, timing? And I have musicians in the room as well and wow. engineer and yeah we're literally singing things putting things trying things uh, but I'm loving you it sing it's as really well, interesting then? well no for the kids for, okay. the, for Yolanda's okay. band jam yeah, yeah. Um, which incidentally has been a nice experience because I play instrumental music in my grown-up music um, but having well playing these festivals in the summer and having you know 2,000 children singing the lyrics back at you I mean you'd be used to that but I was just like this is surreal. Well, I tell you, the bit that resonates with me more is actually your daughter's experience, I think, because yeah. I was the same age when my mum was doing Blue Peter. So I know what it feels like to see your mum yes. being mobbed by people your own height when yeah. you're a child. <laughs> and actually, I was quite jealous about a bit of it, to be honest with you. No, that is there too. I mm. remember throwing a T-shirt out to the audience in one of the festivals and Jemima caught it. I don't know how she caught it. I wasn't aiming at her. Uh, she caught it and then my husband said, give it to the person behind you. She's like, He's like, I've got more in the car. Just give it to the person. But she couldn't get, she was jealous of that. She was like, but I caught it. It's like, no, but you're part of this outfit. You know, we've really had to bring her into the business, if you like, of it and and show her that you're part of this. You're you're not necessarily the consumer anymore. You're part of it. Um, Which she actually understands really, really Being involved helps helps bridge that yeah now I get advice about everything so now I run back all the animations past there run all the songs by her yeah I think you should try (laughs) you know she's got opinions um but actually I think it's it's really important to engage with the children in that way yeah um she said something really interesting to me yesterday um she said mum did you enjoy homeschooling me um I said no I I really loved it and genuinely I did love it it's just that we had a lot of work to do and I had uh, a six month third under the table but I did really enjoy seeing her learn and 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 take things in so I said of course I do Jemima I I loved homeschooling you I'd do it in a heartbeat it's hard with work but I do she says oh no because I heard somebody give an interview I think she must have overheard on the radio at grandma's house um that a lady said I think I speak for all the parents that we don't want to go back into lockdown and have to homeschool our kids 
And I said, Jemima, no one can ever speak for me. <laughs> I said, you know, and it's amazing the thought process they go through when you speak about jealousy or you speak about what they think parents are thinking. We have to be so careful. Yeah. You know, and it took a while for her to understand. I said, you ask me what you want to know about what I'm thinking or feeling about anything. No one can speak for me, you know. And so they're taking all this information in all, all, where, all over. And as a parent, you really want to be there just to dissect some of those things because they're not true. They're <laughs> so know? true, yeah. Keeping the communication open is Keep important. that communication open. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm nearly finished, I promise oh, you, Landon. No, but, uh, I'm enjoying there's it. There's only one, one question I really want to ask you. I mean, obviously you've... Your career has had so many highlights, but I, I just really want... I understand you've worked with Mr. Tumble, and I just wondered what yes, he's like. He is. <laughs> Listen, I have had the best summer in that respect because um, working with Mr. Tumble, I was on... I know um, it's called Justin's. Uh, yes, Justin. Uh, but working, with, uh, doing Justin's house during, during lockdown, mm. and they did a very special sitcom kind of vibe because you couldn't have a, a live audience. And um, they did, did a wonderful episode based on, you know, wanting to be part of Yolanda's band. And he is amazing. I've worked with him on so many different projects. Always smiling, always passionate. He really wants the children to get the most out of the entertainment. And, um, yeah, he doesn't tire either. I mean, he's got the most energy. He is a cool dude. What you think of him, he is that times 10. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then the other highlight was having a Zoom call with Elmo as well. Oh, wow. And he's also very, very cool. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he's like, Yolanda, I love the music. And I was like, oh, well, well, well. <laughs> I had a full 15-minute conversation with a puppet. But I have to tell you, they are exactly how you think they are. They're absolutely golden. Oh, and that's such wonderful. such a joy to work I'd in children. <laughs> Super jealous of that. That <laughs> would, that cool would cheer anyone up. Oh, yeah, yeah. 15 minutes as well. That's I long. I forgot he was a puppet. That's it. <laughs> How did you really find lockdown, Elmo? You can tell me. <laughs> but no, so engaging. And I think that, that is the lovely thing about children's, really. You yeah. know, it's the world of imagination and the world where you can just be free, be silly, but also learn so much. Um, yeah, I, f I find it such a joy to be able to work in, in this way, um, be it yeah. books, be it music, be it TV. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. It is lovely. Yeah. And we get to have a little bit of that fun with our day jobs too. Yeah, we do. We <laughs> <Yeah>. do indeed. <laughs> Being silly. It's definitely part of my CV. <laughs> it's important. It's important. It is. Underrated, I reckon. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was really lovely oh, and really yeah. fascinating. Ah, uh, see? Now I'm smiling as I say this. Can you hear the smile in my voice? Can you? Um, honestly, she was such a lovely woman and I felt really buoyed up after we spoke, really sort of positive and bouncy. And so that's exactly what I hope I've um, passed over to you as well. I hope you're feeling better. If you weren't, oh, that's a weird thing to say. I don't know if you're feeling better. <laughs> Maybe you were great to start off with. I hope I've remained consistent in the good and uplifted anything that was sad. Wow. Sometimes I really should think through what I'm going to say before I record it. Um, and now I'm going to get back to choosing what to wear. I don't know what to wear. It's funny because I've got all these dresses for gigs. And I've got a lot of sparkly ones. But I was kind of feeling like wearing something that's not sparkly tonight. But then I feel like the people just expect me to wear sequins all the time. I mean, in my tour wardrobe, I've got three outfits and only one of them is sequined. Is that okay? The other ones are very bright though. I think if so long as it's jolly, you can kind of get away with it, right? Okie dokie. Well, listen, whatever you're having happen this week, have a good one. Um, I have got... Who have I got coming up for you next week? Oh, cool one next week. 
uh, a woman called Dr. Karen Gurney, who is known informally as the sex doctor. And we had a brilliant chat about, well, actually expand how to talk about sex with your kids, but also how to maintain a good sex life uh, throughout your life, really, particularly in long-term relationships. She said that that's her kind of main thing, is how, teaching people how to sustain a good sex life during long-term relationships. She had lots of wise things to say. So tune in next week for that. In the meantime, I will love you and leave you. Have a good week, darlings. Take care. Bye-bye. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns